0: When Tia Adriana's tearful outbursts first began, Jojo thought it was because she would miss him so much, and surely that was part of it, but the bigger part was that she had lied to him long ago when he was a little boy, and as there didn't seem to be any harm in her deception at the time, as it made Jojo happy, in fact, to hear her build on it, Tia Adriana had done just that. She'd embellished her lie like clay. She kneaded it and stretched it, working it until it was as high and as stalwart as the tall ships that sometimes still came out at night to rest in our harbor, until it was as vast and mysterious as the river itself. This is GP Gottlieb, host for New Books and Literature, podcast channel on the New Books Network, and today I'm talking to Joan Schweighart, author of The River Series, of which River Aria is the third installation. In this beautifully crafted, well-researched historical novel, the author creates a sweeping story about an ambitious, talented young woman that touches upon many societal issues still challenging us to this day, family, the environment, the cycle of poverty, immigration, oppression of minorities, and love.
1: Hi, Joan. Thanks for
0: joining me today.
1: Well, thank you for having me, Glee. It's a pleasure to be here.
0: I understand River Aria to be the culmination of your three-part series. How did you dream it up? And should I feel sad about having read River Aria first? No,
1: I I purposely wrote them all so that they all exist as standalone. They each exist as standalone novels. Um, and I think there's enough background in River Aria for you to see where it's all coming from uh, so you could read all three, <laughs> but I think it works by itself. Um, and it started, the whole thing began, I was doing freelance work for a publishing company, and they asked me to speed read some of their backlist books so they could write blurbs for their website. And one of the books that they asked me to read was a book about a rubber tapper in early uh, 20th century. Um, and I knew nothing at that time about rubber tapping, I knew nothing at that time about rubber. I hadn't paid any attention to that. I I didn't remember anything from history classes. And um, I fell in love with the book. And it just got me started on a path that wound up taking me into the rainforest um, on two different trips. And it began there. So the whole series grew out of of my um, focus on the rubber boom, which took place in in mostly in Brazil, but in other parts of South America in the early 20th century.
0: Wow. But so your journey started really with reading a book. I love it. River Aria um, culminates the adventures of the Hopper brothers. Who
1: were they? The Hopper brothers were two young guys from Hope Hook in New Jersey who who you meet in reading the first book, Um, unless you pick them up along the line in the third book, like, like you are, um, who their father dies when they're, I don't know, 18, 19 years old, and uh, they need to leave home. They need to do something to... Um, to rebalance their lives because they're so upset after their father's death in a fire. Uh, And they hear about people making a fortune tapping rubber trees in South America, and they find a sponsor, which is the way you did it back in those days. And in 1908, they go to South America and um, become rubber tappers. And all kinds of terrible things happen to them there. But that's where the story begins.
0: How did you research Brazil in the twenties, the 1920s? Did it require a long visit? Are you fluent in the language? No, I'm not at
1: all fluent in the language. Um, it required reading a lot of other people's books. I read basically everything I could find about the flora and the fauna of the uh, rainforest in Brazil. Um, I made two trips, as I said. Um, I read about other adventurers who went into Brazil because at that time, that was the, the a, a decade of exploration. A lot of people were traveling to the North Pole, to all kinds of places um, that man hadn't gone before. And there were a lot of people traveling into South America. And I, I got a hold of their books and read them, lots of them.
0: Hmm, <laughs> I bet. Um, the book opens with Jojo. He ekes out a living on the docks. You write blood and fish guts up to his elbows. But he has this chance to study in New York City. And I loved that Stella describes him as dividing the world into two categories, things and people he wants to draw and things and people he would never care to draw. Can, can you say more about him? Well,
1: Jojo was an afterthought um, who became, you know, very central to the novel and um, I I had kind of an outline for the story that I wanted to tell, and it had mostly to do with Estella traveling to New York from Manaus, Brazil um, in 1928 and everything that happens to her and her relationship with her father. And around the time that I was working on it, um, it just seems like a lot of times when I'm writing things come into my life that I, 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 you know, I have to look at twice. Somebody sent me as a birthday present, a book called, the Art spirit um, by Robert Henry. and um, he Robert Henry was uh, very popular at the time that I was writing about in that period in New York he he was a teacher at the Art Student League and he was very popular because he was one of the leaders in the what was called the Ashcan School of Art. And I just thought, wow, this is this is so fascinating and if I can put... In, develop another character to travel with Estella to New York and it wound up taking up the whole you know that he became major uh, central to the plot so um but I wanted him to be you know he, somebody who's extremely talented but was never going to have a chance to get any place with his talent um in manaus and somebody from New York happens to be in manaus um, studying the architecture there, which is really incredible because uh, because it was central to the rubber boom and um, invites uh, Jojo
0: to come to New York
1: around the same time that Estella was planning to go.
0: And you're a painter yourself, which was really interesting, so you knew what you were talking about.
1: I knew what I was talking about to some degree. I'm not a painter on that level. <laughs> Jojo's very talented. Okay. <laughs>
0: Let's talk about Carlito Camillo. Who was he and how did he end up in Brazil? Okay.
1: he is a totally fictional character. So, so much of this is embedded in history of the time and the place, the rubber boom um, and everything that was happening to the people in Manaus and the background that the people have in Manaus is all historically accurate. But um, during the rubber boom, all these entrepreneurs came from Europe and they put a lot of money into building up Manaus, which had been a sleepy fishing village, uh, so that they could live there while they made a fortune being rubber barons. Um, and so one of the things that they built besides how beautiful homes for the, themselves and schools and, uh, uh, restaurants, churches that they wanted to use because they hadn't been there before was a very famous opera house. Um, and the opera house is, is just gorgeous. Every part of it comes from a different place in Europe. They didn't use the materials that were there. They, they sent away to Europe and had all these things um, brought in, shipped in. And um, so... Carlo, uh, um, Car- Car- uh, I can't say his name now, <laughs> Carlito Camillo comes from Portugal and he just happens to visit. This is after the rubber boom is over and everything it has fallen into a state of decrepitude and all the people that are left behind after the entrepreneurs leave are all living in poverty, basically. And he happens to visit the area and see... The opera house and being uh, somebody who who is an instructor in music and um, a lot of other subjects, he he sees that it's being wasted and decides that he's going to teach some of the children there, a handful of children to begin with, um, everything that he knows and give them an elite education that they would never otherwise have.
0: Uh, he's a, a really interesting character, and I love the part about the opera house. Let's we're going to talk more about that after. And a few more questions. Okay. Jojo and Estella grew up together as cousins, but their mothers are not actually sisters. They're broken women who band together to form a loving family. Can you say something about the Tia's? Well, <clears throat> let's
1: see. The, the, these are all women who grew up. There's two parts uh, to Manaus, and one part during the rubber boom was where the big ships came in and where the people with all the money and the rubber barons all lived. And the other part was the fishing village. So they grew up um, in the fishing village, and basically all the women there worked on you know, um, uh, uh, salvaging fishing nets, repairing fishing nets, and uh, they got to be very close. Um, there were actually, there were three women, Adriana and Louisa and Bruna and Bruna is Estella's mother and Adriana is, um, Jojo's mother. So, but they're not connected by their bloodline. They're sisters by heart. That's a very big thing at that time in that place. Uh, they're, they're connected. They think by their, their, uh, fathers being brothers, which as you know, is is not true, <laughs> but it's it's um, a deception um, that the Tias created in order to give JoJo a name, a surname.
0: Yeah. Um, now we're talking as if everything's taking place in Brazil, but actually, uh, pretty early in the book, we're moving. We move on to a ship, and to New York City, but there's a lot of um, both. Jojo and Estela remembering all of this from Brazil, from their childhood. So you write about the rubber boom. You spoke about it just now. But what? When we get there in nineteen in the nineteen twenties, it's already over. Why did it come to an end? What happened with the rubber boom? Well, um, that's
1: kind of a mm-hmm. well. So a guy by the name of. Um, I'm going to have to think of his name. Anyway, so, uh, oh, that's okay. Okay, he, he, somebody stole rubber seeds early on and took them to England. They stole them from uh, thousands of them from Brazil, and they brought them to England. And eventually, they became um, rubber trees planted on territories, English territories in Southeast Asia. And mm. so, when they started producing. The, the big problem with the rubber trees in the jungle in, the, um, in Brazil was that you can't you can't create a plantation, which Henry Ford found out the hard way. You can't plant one tree next to another because of the, there's a blight in South America that jumps from one tree to another. So. You had to send people out into the jungle, which was really dangerous and full of snakes and malaria and all kinds of insects and all kinds of frightening things to go to travel from one rubber tree to another. And they could be at some distance apart. Um, Whereas in the Southeast Asian uh, plantations, there was no blight and you could plant them together. So all of a sudden, the Southeast Asian trees began to produce and, um, everybody needed rubber because now automobiles are, are, have been invented and everybody's getting them. And so the, the, all the money that the entrepreneurs put into building up Manaus, Brazil kind of went out the window and everybody was getting rubber from elsewhere and there was no market anymore. So it came to, um, a very swift end. Um, and every, all the entrepreneurs left, they left their beautiful buildings behind, um, and uh right they we're done
0: okay and that's where we are now in the 20s so now estella, Est- estella and jojo are struggling in new york city estella's going back and forth from uh the metropolitan opera to uh, across a different river the hudson to where her father lives in hoboken new jersey so hoboken is a central character in the play in the book can you say something about it and why did you chose why did you choose it well, I grew up in New Jersey and I was familiar with
1: Hoboken and I needed, um, all of my character groups to be, um, in a place where they could, they could get on ships. <laughs> so, uh, for that reason, I decided Hoboken would work. It had a great shipyard. Um, it still has a great shipyard, but, but at that time, um, it was, it was well used and people going to South America would have been able to get a ship there.
0: So Jojo is uh, it becomes clear that he's working for, um, what would you say, somebody who, it's during yeah. Prohibition, so he was working for a bad guy. Can you talk about that a bit? Okay, well, he finds
1: the job. He, he's kind of, when Jojo and Estella first arrive in New York, they go their separate ways. She goes to her father's house, and he was expecting to be invited to her father's house, too, um, and, and uh, that doesn't quite work out for a variety of reasons so he just goes off and he spends his first night in new york city sleeping next to you know a a, a burn barrel to stay warm because it's winter with a bunch of homeless people and um he needs to get a job really quickly and he really rises to the occasion in the sense that he finds a job uh quickly that and he's making good money working for um a Polish gentleman by the name of Saifko, And Sefgo has a speakeasy, and um, which, of course, is illegal at that time. And so he hires Jojo initially to... Uh, it, 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 it becomes known right away that Jojo is an artist, even though there's, there's a language barrier between Jojo and the people that he meets. He knows some English, but not very much. And Saifko hires him to paint one boat to look exactly like another boat, so that while one is being used for drugs, the other one, if anybody checks, will just see fishing gear in it. And then he finds out that Jojo has lots of river experience, and and he can navigate a boat too, and Jojo becomes very important to him. But Safe owns a speakeasy. So when Jojo wants a meal, um, he can go into the speakeasy and just order whatever he wants, and he introduces Estella to Speakeasy Life.
0: Which is a lovely section because it's so completely different than anything they've ever experienced. Um, ah, so And meanwhile, Estella is in the sewing department of the Metropolitan Opera. How'd you come up with that?
1: Well, her instructor... Uh, Carlito Camillo would have been familiar with the other people with with people who who work at, in the Metropolitan Opera House and he contacts them to tell them that he has this incredible student early on before she ever leaves for New York and one of them writes back and says, "Well, she can work in the sewing room because they have no no reason to believe that this girl who grew up on you know, in a fishing village in Manaus is, is really as talented as, um, he's saying. So she says, okay, I can, I can work around that <laughs> because she's, she exudes confidence. She really thinks, you know, having grown up in Manaus in a very small place where she's a very big fish, um, in a small pond, she thinks she can go to New York and kind of impress everybody and automatically find herself on the stage, whether she starts in the sewing room or not. And of course, that's not the case, but that's how she begins in the sewing room.
0: I loved all your opera references. Am I speaking to a fellow opera lover or were your characters musings just for the sake of literature?
1: Well, you know, I learned, I I really didn't know anything about opera um, when I started writing the book, I'm sorry to say. And I I learned most of what I learned about it um, through books and and from watching uh, and listening to some operas on YouTube. So I'm not really an opera aficionado. I wish I were. Um, But what I think I understood. Enough. Even though I feel like I, I I can't even really talk. I can't have a discussion with you about opera. <laughs> um, but what I okay. what I really understood was what it meant. What opera meant at that time. I mean, this was at the really before radio when um, a first started. Radio is just kind of starting up, but there is a real debate about whether radio is even a proper way to present music to to listeners. And um, you know, there was. There were movie theaters in places like New York, but opera was it. There was so much happening there, and the idea that it was always alive and that every performance had the potential to be different from the one before it. And people just loved it. And whether you were rich or poor or educated or uneducated, you found a way to go to the opera. Um, It was a wonderful, thrilling experience. Um, So that's what I fell in love with, and that's what I hope I conveyed um, through the book.
0: But you uh, conveyed the, the spirit and the feeling of the Metropolitan Opera, and here you are living in Albuquerque. Did you do a field trip to New York? To Did you go to an oh, opera? Did. Well, Not, uh, um, I, Oh, good. Yeah. <laughs> Actually, what I did was I, I made
1: a trip to the Met and of course the Met now is at Lincoln center back then it was on Broadway and I think, um, 39th or West, West 39th or West 40th. So it now it's a tall, um, office building, but when it was the original metropolitan opera house, um, that's where they were. Uh, when I went, I went to the Lincoln Center and I took a tour and my tour guide, um, lucky for me, happened to be somebody, an elderly gentleman who actually worked at the first opera house and was able to give me all kinds of information. It was a very small group and he answered all my questions and he took me down a hallway where there were pictures of the old opera house. And then I read a couple of books about the original opera house. So, uh, I learned as much ah. as
0: I could that way. Ah, it was a just a lovely story. So, Joan, what's next for you? Uh, let's see. Well, I
1: worked over during COVID with um, another person, um, my co-editor, who it, together we we invited writers and poets to write about the subject of touch. And we put together an anthology. It includes the writing of 39 other writers. Um, We're very excited about it. And that will be published by the University of Georgia this time next year. And I'm also working on more fiction pieces, one of my own, um, a book about a homeless man that I'll be looking for a publisher for. And then I'm also doing a collaboration with a friend of mine who's a writer, which is a really unique experience.
0: Sounds wonderful. Sounds like you have a busy year ahead. Thanks so much for joining me today.
1: Thank you so much. This has been really great.
0: And thank you for joining me. Again, this is GP Gottlieb, author of the Whipped and Sipped Mystery Series and host for New Books and Literature, a podcast channel on the New Books Network. Today I've been talking with author Joan Schweigart about the third novel in her River series, River Aria. Hope you're all able to lose yourself in a good book today and tomorrow too. Happy reading.